Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com. This week's episode of Millions of Screens is brought to you by HBO's Watchmen. Set in an alternate history where mass vigilantes are treated as outlaws, Watchmen embraces the nostalgia of the original groundbreaking graphic novel of the same name while attempting to break new ground of its own. Starring an ensemble cast led by Regina King and Jeremy Irons, NPR calls the limited series a masterpiece. Emmy eligible for outstanding limited series and all other categories. And guys, it's kind of fitting that Watchmen's our sponsor because today... We're going to be talking about the acting categories for limited series and TV movie. Oh, is that why it's fitting that it's our I mean, sponsor? You really could have gone I mean, a lot of ways with that. I mean, it's that's the most fitting why it's our sponsor. Another, <laughs> it? fitting, another fitting reason is that we all love Watchmen. <laughs> Pretty sure the first guest on our show was Watchmen showrunner that Damon Lindelof. Our very first guest was Damon Lindelof. Plus, and Watchmen has so many contenders it is a millions and millions of little screens can't you shut up i'm busy boy what a great show uh i'm creative producer leo garcia joined as always via zoom man it really is as always via zoom uh by tv awards editor libby hill and tv deputy editor ben travers uh, on today's episode, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking about the acting categories for limited series and TV movie, part one of our six-week Emmy escapade. I'm excited. What are we, doing? What are we calling this? This yeah. is my wheelhouse. I don't want to talk about anything else. I just want to talk about Emmys because let me tell you, I have no idea what's happening. That's, that's coming straight from the TV awards expert. No I mean, clue. I can- I completely agree with the caveat that if we get like three or four weeks into this and they delay the Emmys, I'm going to just be crushed. Like, I want to get into that zone where the Emmys are right around the corner and we can get really excited about the nominations and all of that. And if like it gets pushed back by any means, I'm just going to be devastated. They're not. I mean, they wouldn't have, if I don't, I don't want to jump ahead, but that's actually a perfect segue Segue? earlier. Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items of this past week. Guys, today it was announced that Jimmy Kimmel will host whatever iteration uh, and whatever shape the 2020 Emmys take. Uh, I think he joked a little bit in his announcement that whether it's going to be virtual, uh, however it's going to be, he's going to be the host, assuming it's, it takes place on September 20th, as currently scheduled. Uh, what do you guys think about this? Uh, for various reasons, I mean, we talked about the hostless Oscars. We had many thoughts on Ricky Gervais's Golden Globes hosting uh performance i mean ben uh 
I think if anything, this should be very comforting to you because I have been holding my breath and waiting for them to decide to push back the Emmys, uh, announce some kind of change in that schedule because they have they have been hard and fast. The Emmys are going to be on September 20th from the beginning, even as they switched their calendar around. Uh, they switched that calendar to sort of lengthen things, but they did not move the Emmys date, unlike the Oscars, which, you know, television rules. But um, I think now, it, on Monday, they announced that the Creative Arts Emmys would be virtual. Um, they announced that they had canceled all the governor's balls, but they didn't really give any indication of what was happening uh, with the primetime Emmys. Today, they announced that they will have a host, that it will be Jimmy Kimmel. That's it. Like, they're not, they're not pushing things now. If they were going to push things, they would have pushed something in the last six weeks. I think this is it. I think some kind of Emmys is happening September 20th. So we might as well hunker down, dig in, and get excited. Well, it is, I mean, it is comforting to me uh, for all the reasons that you mentioned, um, as well as for the fact that they didn't have to announce a host. And they did. They didn't have to have a host. We haven't had a host in a long time, it feels like, Ricky Gervais aside, because, you know, we're all choosing to forget that happened. Um, But when it came to the the main awards, the biggest awards televised, uh, be it the Oscars or the Emmys, it's been three ceremonies since we've had a host and every one of those, I mean, the first Oscars, which was unintentionally hostless went okay. Uh, but after that, everybody was very cautious and tried to warn people, this isn't going to last. We need a host. We need somebody to steer the ship. We need to have a voice and a tone and somebody who can step in and, and kind of guide things as they happen because it is a live show uh, so the fact that ABC and the TV Academy was smart enough to hire someone at all is very <laughs> encouraging to me. Well, I think, first of all, shout out to the Grammys, because I, I think they stuck with, did they not, I thought they stuck with Alicia Keys as host, but Leo, will you check me on that? I'll check that, yeah. Who is not the host for everyone, but kind of works as a Grammys host, because she's very fluid. It's very laid back. It's a much different vibe, which is fine, because the Grammys are less an award show and more a concert. That's fine. Um, but they, they, ABC and, and, and the Television Academy had no choice. They, there was no way they could go hostless this time because they already knew it was just going, the show was going to have to be kind of a big amalgamation. They would need someone to sort of act as a center of that and be able to kind of juggle all of those balls in the air. Um, Now, Kimmel, along with all of Late Night, honestly, uh, Kimmel is well-equipped to sort of handle if they are doing a live show or if they're doing part of it live, like his hosting live and then then, uh, pitching to pre-filmed segments. Um, He's in really good position to do that. I mean, it's ABC. This shouldn't come as a huge surprise. Um, And most importantly, I worked the term refractory period into the announcement that um, Jimmy Kimmel would be hosting because he hosts every four years because uh, it's on ABC. But uh, I just wanted to brag about how I slipped that past the editorial goalie. And here's another brag for you, Libby. Alicia Keys did host the Grammys and oh, she's yay. hosted two years in a row. She actually hosted in 2019 as well. 
Uh, all right, guys. Well, let's dive into it. Well, let's talk about best actor in limited series TV movie. Uh, last year's winner was uh, Jarell Jerome from When They See Us. Ben, you actually wrote about the fact that for the past couple of years, this has sort of been a uh, here's a maybe underdog, someone that you have we haven't seen nominated, but it seems like the favorites are all known entities right now. Uh, with the with the big favorites being Mark Ruffalo and Hugh Jackman. Yeah, it's it's a it's a heavyweight class this year. Um, there's definitely going to be a few of those kind of under the radar newcomer picks that might be able to to sneak in to get a nomination, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of people pushing for them as well. Um, but yeah, like Mark Ruffalo playing twins in an HBO limited series that's like been his passion project for I don't even know how many years over a decade. That's that's got enough weight behind it. Hugh Jackman in Bad Education got some of the best reviews of his career. Aaron Paul for El Camino is an Emmy veteran. Russell Crowe won the Golden Globe, unless my memory is betraying me. Is that true? That seems... I think he did. I'll I'll check. Uh, And then, uh, you know, the... The, the room favorite Jeremy Irons of Watchmen, um, which to me is is quite an interesting choice, if only because despite his role being kind of segmented off from the rest of the cast, like him having kind of his own standalone arc that doesn't come full circle until the end, he doesn't feel like a lead actor. He feels like a supporting actor. He feels like he's kind of got a, a corner of the show as opposed to, you know, standing up in front of it with Regina King. Um, so whether or not the the TV Academy accepts him as a leading actor and votes accordingly might be the biggest challenge for him. But again, all of those people are pretty big people, not to mention a certain superhero whose name I can't remember right now. Jesus Christ. His name is Chris Evans. I, Jesus Christ rings a bell. Who's, I remember him. Uh, ben, you, you were... Same difference. You were right. It, Russell Crowe did win that Golden Globe. Uh, that was also in the category that we spoke about, the fact that uh, Drell Jerome wasn't even nominated right um, globes didn't uh, necessarily nail that one but as- uh, aside aside from ben snubbing uh chris evans uh libby is there anyone i guess well i'll ask you first what do you do what do you want to talk about right now in the act you know uh, let me let me talk about who might be weak in that category and again because this is such a strange year such a strange time to try and engage buzz because there is no buzz Um, I will say the ones, the people that I've got instincts, like, may not be as strong as we feel. Like, I am, I understand that Russell Crowe won the Golden Globe, and I understand why. Um, but we're, (laughs) it's a completely different world right now than it was six months ago. And I think, um, no matter how good he was, it's gonna be weird vote pushing someone who played Roger Ailes over a lot of these other performances, just because some people think that Fox News is very toxic place and has a very toxic role in the current um, kind of makeup of the country. So I don't know if he gets pushback on that or not. I also say, like, I don't know about Jeremy Irons, Ben. Like, I love his performance, but I agree with you. I don't think it's lead. Um, I don't know if that's a contractual obligation or or what, but I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I, as strong as I feel like Watchmen is, like, for whatever reason, my gut doesn't feel like it extends as much to, to Jeremy Irons. So that's why I have, if you look at my Gold Derby picks, I have Chris Evans from Defending Jacob in that sixth spot, just because 
of all of the shows defending Jacob, uh, of all the shows on Apple Plus, it really feels like defending Jacob almost got an audience. Um, and it's Chris Evans. Uh, I, I, I just think it, it's possible. I think it's more possible than people think it is. Well, it's definitely possible this year. And again, I, I feel like once we, once you kind of get through those five or six names that you feel confident about or that you feel like are the, the, the heavyweights, then you reach that kind of spoiler territory or that kind of newcomer territory where you just don't know what to make of it. Like you can always count on somebody voting for Chris Evans because he's Chris Evans. Like that's, that's the allure of the movie star and of, you know, whatever talent you want to assign to that role or, or admiration for that specific role. Um, but we have no idea how people are going to react to something like normal people. I mean, the, the reviews around that were, were very, very strong. Uh, we don't know what the viewership was. There's been a considerable amount of chatter about it online. Um, there's obviously a built-in fan base with the book. There's a lot of respectability attached to that. Um, and Hulu has done pretty well in the past with acting nominees, but it has struggled to connect with a wider audience in terms of um, you know certain limited series that got shafted in the main categories. Uh, I'm looking at The Living Tower or uh, Catch-22. Let's move on to Best Actress, where uh, Regina King reigns supreme over all the potential nominees, I think. Uh, but this is an incredibly strong group. Uh, Kate Blanchett from Mrs. America. Uh, you have the, the twin leads for Little Fires Everywhere, Merritt Weaver and Unbelievable, as well as Caitlin Deaver and Unbelievable, Octavia Spencer. Uh, I'm just naming people at this point. Uh, ben, Catherine Hahn, and Mrs. Fletcher. I don't know why I pointed to you when I, when I said that. Um, you know why. <laughs> Uh, we all know I, why. We all, we all know why. If you're a listener to the podcast, you know why. So yeah, what, what do you guys think of this Best Actress race uh, heading into the actual voting? I mean, I, I think to me what's going to be interesting is where does the dual nomination come from? I feel like either Unbelievable or Little Fires Everywhere will get two nominations. I don't think they both will. And... I have been giving the edge to the newer show, even though Unbelievable has such an incredible fan base. Somebody like Caitlin Deaver is, you know, very much deserving of that lead actor, lead actress perform, like lead actress designation. Um, and at the same time, I I don't know if if I, it's very hard for me to pick her name over somebody like Reese Witherspoon as much as I want to. So I'm I'm very torn in this category about kind of how the chips are going to fall. Um, but I feel like. We've got Regina King and Kate Blanchett as kind of the, the locks near the top of the pile. And then these two very awards-friendly programs with very strong lead performances that are very much designed to be nominated in this category, uh, fighting for those last four spots. And, and you know, there's obviously other contenders to consider. So it's, it's just kind of where the preferences fall. Yeah, this is a prize fight. Like, I... I it is actually kind of infuriating because some other categories um are so so weak uh it's not fair that limited series actress has has this many big names and this many great performances um and it's gonna get so ugly like there are a lot of these there are a lot of these performances that deserve to get nominated and there are a lot of these performances i'm afraid are gonna get nominated that don't necessarily deserve to get nominated and it's just a matter of, of, of how the chips are going to fall. Um, I'm fascinated to see how that Regina King 
the Regina King, Kate Blanchett battle goes down. Um, you would think Blanchett has the edge because of the recency of Mrs. America, but also recent events have, have and continue to make Watchmen more relevant than maybe any other show on television in the last uh, eligibility year. So, and they love Regina King. Um, but yeah, I agree with Ben. Like, I, I feel differently. I feel like uh, the Television Academy's affection for Reese Witherspoon is often greatly overstated. So I see them, I see Carrie Edge, I see Carrie Washington getting the edge over Reese Witherspoon. And I do believe Unbelievable gets those two slots. I know they love Merritt Weaver. I do think that Deaver is the, the weaker, in the weaker position for nomination, but also keep an eye on, on uh, Shira Haas from Unorthodox. That has a lot of heat and uh, her getting into bump someone shocking is, would, would not be shocking to me. Well, the, the thing about Shira Haas too, is that Unorthodox, um, you know, based on whatever we can base things on with Netflix numbers being what they are, you know, we don't, we don't know for sure what any of the top 10 lists mean, but it seems like that show was very well, well watched. It seems like that show, um, despite being, you know, only four episodes and, uh, you know, lacking like huge big name stars, it still had the reach that it needed to, to make an impact on the award season. So again, yeah, I completely agree. I think Shira Haas is somebody who's kind of sitting there in that sixth spot who could even, you know, climb up a little bit higher. I do, I, I've, been kind of down on Reese Witherspoon throughout most of the award season. I thought it was telling last year that she was overlooked at the SAGs for the morning show and Big Little Lies. Um, I think that, you know, Carrie Washington is somebody who's who's always had pretty strong support, even when she broke away from something like Scandal and got nominated for confirmation, which, you know, TV movies are not necessarily the easiest thing to to get your name in the race. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be tough, but the, the amount of attention that has been paid in a little fires everywhere is making me think that that's got more of a chance than I am giving it credit for. But yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where it's going to be really tricky to see kind of how this falls out when we, when we get the nominations. I'd also, again, flag Daisy Edgar Jones for normal people as somebody who, we just don't know how that show is going to perform. It could end up getting, you know, six or seven nominations. It could end up getting none. Like, I, I don't know what's going to happen with it because it's so hard to tell um, where where the passion lies. Like, if that is their favorite show or if that's just something like they watched it, they liked it, but there's these other things that they're paying attention to now, especially when it seems like the focus for Hulu is more on little fires everywhere than normal people. Then one little fact check thing. Uh, Unorthodox actually spent more time in the Netflix top 10 than Hollywood did. If we're, if, and we actually started keeping track a week after Unorthodox premiered. It had a long tail, Orthodox did. Like, and Netflix knows that and they're pushing it. And like, obviously they're pushing Hollywood too because there's a lot of stars. You've got to push it. Like, I'm sure there have been <laughs> arrangements made, but... And, and, and it's Ryan Murphy and it's expensive, but I mean, they obviously, inside Netflix, they know they have something in Unorthodox. They definitely know they have something in Shira Haas. They are not blind to that. And um, good for them. Those top 10 lists aren't speaking to viewership. And one of the things about Unorthodox is it made its time in the top 10 over a long period of time. 
Um, but that's because it wasn't marketed as a massive show at the onset. So they're not flooding the zone with viewers at the start. It's people finding the show through word of mouth. So then it kind of hangs around on the top 10 list. Whereas there could have been 50 million people who watched Hollywood in one day and then they never came back to it. So it dropped off the top 10. Fine. Fine. But there is something to be said for word of mouth. Like uh, if if orthodox, unorthodox is staying in that top 10 for an extended amount of time, that means people are watching it. They're telling people, other people to watch it. And, and it's tail grows. Like if everyone who's interested in Hollywood was really interested in it, watch it in the first two weeks, that's great. But they didn't tell anyone to watch it. Well, speaking of Hollywood, <laughs> we're talking about the best supporting actors in limited series or TV movie. And Ben, you wrote about this when you were talking about the supporting actress race, but essentially that Ryan Mur- Murphy's sort of limited series tend to dominate these categories in a lot Whee! of ways. If they do well, they tend to dominate. If they <laughs> like the show, then they he tends to be able to get nominations for actors. It's one of the reasons he's fairly beloved within the industry and can get the cast that he gets. It's that he creates a lot of parts that are fairly juicy for awards attention. Uh, Jim Parsons in Hollywood being the prime example here. Um, I still think that... I think that as we kind of mentioned with Watchmen and in other categories and looking for it on the first, on nominations morning, looking to those acting categories is kind of a bellwether for whether or not people like the show. We're going to find out really fast if people liked Hollywood or not based on this category because with names like Jim Parsons and Darren Chris, who are past Emmy winners and almost always in the race if they've got a show up no matter what the show is, um, not to mention somebody like Joe Mantello, who delivered an actually good performance in Hollywood, as opposed to the bigger names around him, and Dylan McDermott, who delivered the best performance in the entire show. If any of those names get called or multiple names gets called, then maybe Hollywood has a chance of kind of expanding its awards footprint. But if the TV Academy reacts in a similar way to critics and that they don't like the show, they will not highlight the actors along the way. Like they, they might just shoe in Jim Parsons because they know him and they like him and they watched it and they thought he was good. Um, but they're not going to try to get three or four names in there. That being said, there are a lot of names in that and there are not a lot of names outside of that. This it doesn't feel like a particularly deep category. Um, I think that you could see multiple Hollywood nominees, uh, let's say two, and still not have them super embrace the show. But Oh, I think I think that's fair. I think we could see two names and that be kind of the the maximum impact that Hollywood has this year. I would say that um, to me the the supporting actor race is it still has enough people who are either in really high quality programs that should be well liked or well watched. Um or names that are very familiar to the TV Academy, or they're familiar to, like, the, the show that they're in is very familiar. Like, Jesse Plemons for El Camino isn't necessarily somebody who is, you know, Emmy gold. Like, he's not he's not somebody who, who's always dominated by the TV Academy or somebody that they're constantly paying attention to, but El Camino is. Like, Breaking Bad has an incredible history within the TV Academy, so they could look to him. Same with Titus Burgess for Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I don't know how they feel about the movie. I don't know if they're done with that show. It tapered off in the nomination count as the seasons went on, but you know, he's still very well liked and he's right there. Ray Romano for Bad Education. He's going to get a good push from HBO, as is John Turturro for The Plot Against America. 
Uh, you bring in the Watchman team, which to me is somebody who like we really have to pay attention to. Obviously, Tim Blake Nelson is right there. But Yaya, I mean, Yaya is a big name right now. And his part expanded at the end of the series. So that's somebody that they could really want to pay attention to if they decide they fall in love with the show. Um, so I think, again, like we talked about this a little bit last year, viewership counts and passion counts. And if they really do fall in love with Watchmen, they'll find a way to nominate two of them instead of two of the Hollywood people. Yeah, Libby, you added Louis Gossett Jr. to our to sort of our talking points list. Yeah, I did. And because I, I think that what Ben's saying is absolutely correct. Like if if they're all in on Watchmen, then absolutely. Um, and I also think like you don't count out Louis Gossett Jr., especially because of um, the one thing about Yaya is that so much of Yaya's human performance comes in the first half of Watchmen season. Um, unless so in the end, it's, it's, he's not able to do as diverse. I'm trying to like talk around this as, 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 uh, as diverse a performance towards the end of the series as he is in the beginning. But Louis Gossett Jr. has that incredible scene in the church with Regina um, in the finale I, I, it tears my heart out still. Um, I just think like, if we are in that situation, if it's like all in on Watchmen, like then, then that's a really deniable, undeniable name um, and performance. So, I mean, that's why, that's why I wanted to talk about him, but I, I mean, Ben's correct. Like there's a lot of names, but there's a lot unknown. Like it's just so hard to talk about this stuff in the current atmosphere uh i did want to pose a question to libby uh in the form of one name and that name is john slattery i'm pretty confident he gets nominated but if they just hated mrs america then no and also i'm just really hoping it's not like a do the right thing situation where like slattery is the only person nominated (laughs) they're like just the white guy please um yeah just the man uh well that that's actually a great segue to best supporting actress where in in a, in a sort of like bizarro way that Hollywood could potentially have uh, three nominees, Mrs. America could definitely also get three nominees, if not four or five. Like or it could six. run the table, honestly. It could have the whole thing. Um, they, it has the it has it to back it up. So I, we all like Gene Smart and Watchmen here, uh, and Tony Collette and Unbelievable. But how do you sort of start to parse which of the Mrs. America performances is going to the, the Academy is going to is going to go for? I don't know. There's no good answer to that. I'm confident Colette gets in because it's Colette and she's in supporting and she isn't in that mess of lead actresses. And if you want to pick one performance from Jean Smart, I think is a lot. It's Jean Smart. She has uh, a shit ton of Emmys and she's amazing. I don't know how you pick from those Mrs. America performances. Um, right now in my one spot is Sarah Paulson because they love her because Sarah Paulson's amazing because she had the best standout episode. Um, but it was a very slow burn. She has a great tape. Uh, that said, the showiest supporting actress performance is also a lie because it's a lead actress performance, but it's Rose Byrne. Um, and then, like, I don't know. This is such a mess. This category is such a mess. Ben, say something, because I cannot make sense of it. 
Well, I, I actually have Uzo Aduba at the top spot um, in terms oh, of yeah, This that's... Is America supporting actors, if only because of what you just said about Rose Byrne being really more of a lead. And again, I, I don't think that, that typically the, that voters hold that against people unless the category fraud is so out there that they just, you know, it, it's It's more of an painful. Oscar problem, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, but I still feel like, I feel like, Uzo's standalone, ep- well, not Uzo's spotlight episode, the one that's very much about uh, Shirley Chisholm, is early in the season. And I feel like that benefits her. She's obviously somebody who also has done extremely well with the Academy um, with Orange is the New Black. Uh, she's uh, an incredibly you know, popular, likable, wonderful personality who delivers another performance where it's very much separated from who she's played before. So it, it, it's it's showy in the right way. It's showy in a way of like, look at what I could do in addition to all the other things you thought I could do. Um, so I, I've kind of got her in the, in the top spot. I think Sarah Paulson is also right there. Like you said, because we agree that's the best episode of the season. To me, it also comes back to, did they watch the whole thing or did they see her at the beginning and kind yeah. of think this is who she is? And that, that could come down to how the Mrs. America cast is treated in general. Like if they, if they love the show and they watched every episode, they see their spotlight performances, then I think they'll get a boatload of nominations. But if they kind of are like, well, I saw the first three or four, I get it. Definitely Uzo, definitely Kate, definitely Rose. And then we'll go to our other people. Um, it could be a bit more of a hodgepodge, but I know people are very high on Mario Martindale. Uh, she's obviously very well liked within the Academy. Tracy Ullman is very well liked within the Academy. They built that and roster. She was so good. Oh my God. Yeah. They're, they're Sorry. all fantastic. They're all deserving. No, and they're also all very popular within the Academy. So it's going to be one of those things where like, I can't believe how low I have Allison Janney ranked for bad education, but it's because she's in a movie and movies suffer in comparison to limited series when they go head to head in the acting. So it's just, it's tough. Uh, this is, this, this is mind blowing. So four of the eligible Mrs. America supporting actresses, Rose Byrne, Marco Martindale, Sarah Paulson, Uzo Aduba have 17 nominations and six wins between them. Tracy Ullman, by herself, has 26 nominations and seven wins. That's what happens when you run your own show, run and star <laughs> in your own show. Yeah. Uh, you get a little inflated and have been in the industry for like 30 some years. But I think the Mrs. America problem isn't like, even once you get past the competition from within the cast itself, then they are up against a bunch of people that the Academy love, like Gene Smart, Allison Janney, friggin' Patty Lapone from Hollywood. Like it's it is absolutely mind boggling. Um, Emma Thompson. Colin Taylor. Okay. <laughs> Emma Thompson isn't even it's a mess. I wish I could outsource half of this category to like comedy actress. Who's gonna win? <laughs> we'll save that for post nomination. <laughs> we'll save that for the eighteen episodes after nominations. Guys, today I'm just perusing the old Quibi headlines. Uh, As Vanity, you do. Vanity Fair has a headline. Surprise, Quibi is not doing so great. <laughs> this comes, this has been a big, this has kind of been a big week in Quibi news. Not for Quibi. The original name for Quibi was supposed to be New TV. That was the working title they were going with. New yes. TV. As opposed to Quibi. I... I can't believe 
that they were spitballing what the name for this whole ordeal was going to be. And they thought, yeah, new TV. That's a great name. That's a great name. We're going to have it. And then someone pitched Quibi Quibi. for Quick Bites. And they're like, oh, thank God. That's so much better. Because technically, it is so much better than new TV. (laughs) New TV was uh, one word, by the way. It was was all squished together. Absolutely. No, No space. New TV. Lastly, before Qu- before Quibi Libby asks us a question, um, the reports are that uh, Quibi is going to fall five million subscribers short of its goals. <laughs> it was sorry, what was its goal? <laughs> se- Seven point four million users by April twenty twenty one. Current projections have it only getting to two million, which sounds like a lot. <laughs> I don't know I'll what these it. projections are. That sounds Seems inflated. High. Yeah, I don't know. If they, I don't trust those numbers. Uh, I don't either. Which leads beautifully to the potential question from Libby. Libby, guys, is Quibi dead yet? I guess not. I don't know, but it feels like it feels like there's Life support. Feels like there's more blood in the water than there has been before. Y'all, we are gonna completely like we our projections for like when quibi would die are so off it's not i don't i don't know if it's gonna make it to a year like i i just don't like it's it's hemorrhaging i will go back i'll go back and find out what our original projections were but but i'm pretty sure that i said one full year so (laughs) april of 2021 i think libby might have said Christmas 18 months yeah 18 months and then Ben you were somewhere in between that like you said it I might, might have done make whatever it. Ben said plus one day <laughs> I think yeah. that did happen and Price is Right Price is Right rules Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation and IndieWire our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video Bjork talking about TV and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson our publisher is James Israel and our executive editor is Ann Donahue our favorite Emmy-winning TV shows starring Regina King are American Crime Season 1, American Crime Season 2, and Watchmen. Our millions of screens Regina King movie endorsement is Jerry Maguire. You can find us on a Twitter, at a million screens, at Midwest Spitfire, at Ben T. Travers, and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So please leave a review and let us know what you think. If it's good, we might read it on the air. And if it's bad, we'll try our best to delete it from the internet. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo Remind you, as always, that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. (laughs) Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.